Welcome to episode 198 of the Truth Quest podcast, the truth about what's not in the Constitution. Before we get started, I want to ask you to do me a favor and share the show. If you're on social media and topics such as communism in America, the empire of lies, the American financial system, secession, or the petrodollar comes up, please share the topic-specific TruthQuest episode with your debate partner. Episodes are available on a host of platforms, including Amazon Music, Podbean, BitChute, Brighteon, Google Play Music, Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Rumble, Truth Social, and Instagram, where I post a short highlight of each show at instagram.com forward slash truthquestpodcast. Whatever platform you may be listening to this on, please take a moment and give it a five-star rating, hit the like button, or leave a positive review. Another way you can share the show is to throw a small donation my way at the TruthQuest podcast patronage page. All donations will be used to drive awareness of the podcast through online advertising. See this episode's show notes page at truthquest.podbean.com. And finally, please join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast. I always laugh to myself when hosts say, this is probably the most important episode I've ever produced. But since I've never said that, I don't want any of you to laugh when I say, this is probably the most important episode I've ever produced. Because if 30 to 40% of the voting public internalized the message I'm about to convey to you, I sincerely believe that we could turn this country around and make it great again. Not in the narrow Trumpian MAGA sense, but in a much broader, long-term, durable, resilient manner. Let's dive in and see if you agree with those sentiments. Anyone who pays the least bit of attention to the news is aware of the unprecedented leak of a draft majority opinion from the Supreme Court that overturns both Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood v. Casey. Leftists, of course, are going batshit crazy as they are inclined to do when they are losing an argument. We hear the usual cries from the loony leftist foot soldiers about women's right to choose to kill her innocent baby in the womb, or women's health, pay no attention to the health care of the innocent baby in the womb, or my body, my choice, which does not apply when it comes to the COVID-19 vaccine. That's the foot soldier. But the establishment types are going nuts over the leaked Supreme Court opinion for a much different reason. It's the same reason that the National Republican leaders remain so quiet. Because they both know that if the majority opinion is published as written, we will likely see thousands of lawsuits in the coming years challenging the constitutionality of hundreds of unconstitutional federal agencies. This is a terrible outcome for the political oligarch class that currently runs the country. They love their power and control. They love the money they can funnel to their family's business ventures while in office and the insider stock trading that they can participate in. And they really love the money they can make when they leave office, either as a talking head pundit, lobbyist, or on a cushy board of directors position. Do you know what's not in the Constitution? Turns out, a lot. Things such as privacy, abortion, assault weapons, bump stocks, old age pensions, government-managed Ponzi scheme retirement plans, welfare programs, infrastructure spending. There's no mention of Highway Safety Administration or aeronautics in space. There's no mention of a central bank, paper or digital currency. There's no mention of student loans or mortgages, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, Jenny Mae. Nothing about fair housing or flood insurance. There's nothing about education, health care, or health insurance, corporate bailouts, fuel mixture standards, light bulbs, the environment, carbon dioxide emissions, 
There's nothing about energy, labor laws, occupational safety, nothing about transportation, food, pharmaceuticals, disease control, farm subsidies. There's nothing in there about small business, consumer protection, land management, equal employment opportunity, no mention of national endowments for anything. Nothing in there about drugs, can't find tobacco mentioned, marijuana isn't mentioned, nor is cocaine. Nothing about medical research, vaccines, or masks. Can't find anything about fish, wildlife, forestry, or mine safety. Can't find anything about national parks. Can't find anything about federal land ownership. You won't find Homeland Security, the CIA, the NSA, the Peace Corps, Army Corps of Engineers, the arts, private courts like FISA court. They're not going to see anything in there about election laws, border security, regulating financial companies, the FDIC. Nothing about agriculture and the confiscation of privately owned gold. What else is not in the Constitution? Foreign aid, communication, regulation of the airwaves or the internet. The word disinformation and misinformation don't appear in the Constitution either. There's two things I can anticipate you guys are thinking. Number one, some of this stuff is important. The government probably is the best entity to handle it. And what powers does the Constitution grant to the federal government? Well, we'll tackle both of those questions in the rest of the episode. When it comes to number one, I don't disagree with you that some of the stuff I mentioned above might best be handled by government, but not the federal government. See, none of those things are mentioned in the Constitution as enumerated powers delegated to the federal government. So if you want government to handle education or labor laws, or you want government to guarantee mortgages, perform medical research, you will need to ask your state legislature to pass some laws or make sure those things are included in your state's constitution. There is no other manner to approach this. Either we live in a constitutional republic or we don't. If you force me to make a secondary argument beyond the constitutional argument, I would point to the federal government's 100% failure rate. As Ronald Reagan once said, the truth is that outside of its legitimate function, government does nothing as well or as economically as the private sector. Now, I pose a question. Why would you ever consider giving these people more power? And I would point to the corrupt group, the uniparty oligarchs, neither of which have our best interests at heart. Before I tackle number two, what powers does the Constitution actually grant to the federal government, I want to lay the foundation for that discussion. As a Christian, I believe the Bible is the authority on how I should try to live my life. As an American, I believe the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, the Federalist Papers, and all the personal writings of the Founding Fathers are the authority for the country. I believe the Founding Fathers of this country were extraordinary. What they did, taking on the British Empire, is nothing short of miraculous. But their crowning achievement is the United States Constitution. The Constitution is the glue that holds the United States together. It is one of the reasons America is exceptional. The problem is fewer and fewer Americans study the Constitution. Ignorance of the Constitution and of your rights is not bliss. It is a recipe for disaster. Rather than follow the constitutional amendment process, liberals and progressives have instead chosen to pursue their agenda via judicial activism, executive orders, and government regulations. It has always struck me as ironic that if they are so sure that their agenda is the right thing for the American people, they would run through fire to get it through via the amendment process. Instead, they pursue a philosophy that plays on the passions of the people, claiming that government can meet everyone's needs. Progressivism is a corrupt and bankrupt philosophy that will ultimately produce 
a corrupt and bankrupt country. When in doubt about an issue, look at the original intent of the founding fathers. What did they say about a particular issue? When someone tries to circumvent the Constitution by making arguments that the founding fathers would never have imagined modern life, simply remind them that that is the reason the amendment process was created. If you don't like something, offer up a constitutional amendment. Otherwise, if the Constitution is silent on an issue, then the federal government should have nothing to do with it. The founding documents made it clear that our rights are granted by God, not government. Our government was created to protect those rights. The purpose of the Constitution was simply to provide a structure that would protect us from anyone who thought they were greater than God. If rights are not given by God, rather by government, then government can just as easily take those rights away. The Founding Fathers had just escaped the tyranny of a king who thought he knew what was best for the colonists halfway around the world. They had no intention of creating a federal government with similar powers. Thus, the Constitution granted the states most of the power. They knew that governments and political leaders are held more accountable when politicians are closer in proximity to their constituents. The people in a town know better than the people in the state capitals. The people in the state capitals know better than Washington, D.C. From the founding, fast forward 240 years and consider the fact that the federal government is the nation's largest creditor, debtor, lender, employer, consumer, contractor, grantor, property owner, tenant, insurer, healthcare provider, and pension guarantor. In a country where the federal government's role was to be severely limited, that last sentence should scare the hell out of you. Washington uses federal money as an extortion racket against the states. The federal government's favorite tools are the Highway Trust Fund, Medicare, education funding, and most recently, health care via Obamacare. All of these are used to blackmail the states by forcing them to adopt Washington's plan for the states rather than the states determining its own route. The whole point our founding fathers made with enumerated powers was to allow the states to do as they please, knowing that the people could flee if things got out of hand. Examples of this would be the liberal utopia of California, which is bankrupt, or New York, Minnesota, or Illinois, where the Democrats who run those states are constantly raising taxes and, most recently, indoctrinating their children in public schools on America-hating, race-baiting poison like critical race theory and teaching age-inappropriate lessons about gender identity, and talking nonsense like defund the police. I opened the episode with a rather lengthy list of things that the Constitution does not grant to the federal government. Now let's talk about what the Constitution does grant the federal government. To do that, we turn specifically to Article 1, Section 8, where in 18 paragraphs, the Founding Fathers clearly articulate what limited powers the Constitution grants to the federal government. What are these enumerated powers? The Constitution grants Congress the power to 1. Pay the debts of the United States. 2. Declare war and make rules of warfare to raise and support armies and the Navy and to make rules governing the military forces. 3. To regulate commerce with foreign nations and among the states. 4. To establish uniform rules of naturalization. 5. To establish uniform laws of bankruptcy. 6 to coin money and regulate the value thereof. 7. To fix the standard of weights and measures. 8. To provide for the punishment of counterfeiting. 9. To establish post office and post roads. 10. To issue patents and copyrights. 11. To create courts inferior to the Supreme Court. 
and 12 to define and punish piracy and felonies committed on the high seas and offenses against laws of nations. Here's a summary of the 18 paragraphs. Six of them concern the military and the militia, which makes sense to have a centralized military rather than one for each state. Four of them concern money and taxes. Makes sense to have one currency and some form of tax collection. One paragraph concerns commerce. Now, while the Commerce Clause has been badly bastardized over the years, which will be a subject of another podcast episode, it made sense to regulate some commerce between the states. There's one paragraph concerning naturalization and bankruptcy. Again, sensible centralized powers. Then we have the paragraph about post office and post roads. Copyrights and patents is another paragraph. The federal courts and maritime crimes, followed by a paragraph about the District of Columbia. And then there's a paragraph at the end that gives Congress the power to, quote, make all laws which shall be necessary and proper for carrying into execution the foregoing powers. Now, this is another clause that has been bastardized. Nonetheless, it's a sensible provision as written. That's it, folks. That is everything the federal government is constitutionally allowed to do. The federal government was once comprised of the Departments of State, Department of War, and the Department of Treasury. Today, it is comprised of over 400 departments and agencies. So given all of that, how many federal agencies can you name that would pass a true constitutionality test? Maybe the Defense Department, the Post Office, State Department, the Treasury Department, you know, to coin money. I would say the Patent and Trademark Office. Obviously, the federal court system, I'm assuming the attorney general's office, and some form of immigration and customs enforcement, but not for border enforcement, only dealing with naturalization. And I guess we'd throw in the Justice Department. That means the abolishment or privatization of everything else. Thus, my list from the beginning of the episode. I believe by shutting down some of these unconstitutional agencies, we can begin to tackle our record national debt and deficit problems, but also alleviate much of the problems associated with the federal government's abuse of power via regulations. If these agencies are not regulating, they're not breathing. So let's take their breath away, so to speak. The founders were smart enough to know that human nature is human nature, corrupting and conniving. Therefore, they wrote and got ratified the Ninth and Tenth Amendments to make it abundantly clear that the federal government's powers are few and defined. James Madison wrote Federalist 45, and for those of you who don't know, the Federalist Papers were newspaper articles written by Madison, John Jay, and Alexander Hamilton in the New York Papers, arguing for the ratification of the Constitution. In this particular one, Madison wrote, The powers delegated by the proposed Constitution to the federal government are few and defined. Those which are to remain in the states are numerous and indefinite. The former will be exercised principally on external objects as war, peace, negotiation, and foreign commerce. The powers reserved to the several states will extend to all the objects which in the ordinary course of affairs concern the lives, liberties, and properties of the people and the internal order, improvement, and prosperity of the state. I want you to pause here for a minute and internalize the core message of Federalist 45. The federal government has to be heavily restricted few and defined, while the states were to have all the power, numerous and indefinite. Let's quickly examine the Ninth and Tenth Amendment. Now, keep in mind that neither of these amendments add or take anything away from the Constitution. They simply tell readers how to interpret the documents. 
The Ninth Amendment reads, The enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage others retained by the people. And the Tenth Amendment states, The powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution, nor prohibited by it to the states, are reserved to the states respectively, or to the people. Now, whereas the Tenth Amendment is very easy to understand, if we don't expressly grant the federal government the power to do something, they don't have the power. Instead, the power goes to the states. The Ninth Amendment is a little more cryptic, which leaves it to be misinterpreted. I want to spend just a minute of time decrypting it. You will often hear people claim that the Ninth Amendment gives us all the rights that aren't listed in the Bill of Rights, but that's really the opposite. As Michael Meharry, writing for the Tenth Amendment Center, put it, the Ninth Amendment was a response to concerns that listing certain rights in the Bill of Rights would imply the federal government had the power to violate other rights not listed. In effect, the Ninth Amendment explicitly asserts that the federal government may only act within its delegated powers, both in regard to the rights listed in the Bill of Rights and to those that are not listed. So knowing that, let's reread the Ninth Amendment. The enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights, that is, the enumeration of the federal powers in the Bill of Rights, the first through eight amendments. The enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage others retained by the people. Then they follow that up with the Tenth Amendment, which is crystal clear. For those of you who still remain skeptical, I will make one more non-constitutional argument in an effort to persuade you. Would you prefer your government be centralized, one-size-fits-all, getting in touch with your representative damn near impossible because they have hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of constituents? Or would you prefer a decentralized government whereby different jurisdictions, municipalities, states try things a little bit differently, i.e. the laboratories of democracy, you may have heard that term thrown around, and your representatives have thousands of constituents? And you're likely to see those representatives at church or at the grocery store where you can bend their ear on the issues of the day. It goes back to the point I made earlier. Do you think bureaucrats in Washington, D.C. know better how to deal with issues in your town or state than your state legislatures do? Or your city council versus the state legislatures? To the federal governments, decentralization is what kryptonite is to Superman. I think the choice is clear. The Founding Fathers handed us a highly decentralized nation for a reason. If you would like a deep dive into this topic, check out episode 182, The Truth About Decentralization. I'm going to wrap this episode up with a fictional conversation that clearly demonstrates the absurdity of the national government in which we currently live under. Imagine sitting in your favorite coffee shop, and you look over at the table across the room, and there sits Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, and James Madison. You obviously cannot believe your eyes, so you get up and walk over. When you realize that your eyes were not deceiving you, you ask the three if you can join them. Madison pulls out the chair and says, by all means, have a seat. Jefferson points to a story in the newspaper that he was reading when you walked up and says, do you know anything about this? The headline reads, Affordable Care Act Expenses Exceed Estimates. You hesitantly respond, sure, that's referring to Obamacare. It's a national health care law that was passed in 2010. Franklin peers over his bifocals and says, what is Obama? You respond, that's the last name of a recent president of the United States, Barack Obama. His signature piece of legislation was a nationally mandated health care system. Pause here for a moment and try to consider how these three men, given their perspective on the Constitution, would react or digest 
such a scenario. Almost in unison, all three men turn towards you with an inquisitive yet confused look on their faces. What, you say? What, exclaims Franklin. Did you say national health care? Madison chimes in. Timidly, you respond, well, yes. See, the argument has been that no American should be denied health care. Everyone has a right to decent health care. So President Obama and his party, the Democratic Party, passed a bill that mandated every American must buy health insurance and health insurance companies must sell policies to everyone regardless of their current health status. The three founders looked back and forth at each other and at you for what seemed like an eternity. Finally, Jefferson said, did you ratify a constitutional amendment in, in regards to health care or health insurance? You meekly respond, uh, not exactly. Well, then where the hell does Congress and the president get the authority to press such a mandate on the people, exclaims an exasperated Franklin. You respond, I don't know the answer to that question. The Supreme Court upheld the law. What did you just say, asked Madison? The Supreme Court found a law that mandates that all Americans buy something in the Constitution? Where? It has something to do with the ability to tax. The Chief Justice said that the penalty to be assessed against anyone who did not buy health insurance was considered a tax and therefore the law was deemed constitutional. All three men seemed lost in their thoughts for several moments. Then Franklin asked, well, what about this? And he points to another headline that reads, Secretary of Education resigns. You look at him and say, what do you mean? Franklin says, what is a Secretary of Education? You respond, he runs the Department of Education and reports to the president, just like the other secretaries. Oh, exclaims Jefferson, you pass a constitutional amendment creating that department? Very interesting. Madison chimes in, we never thought that was necessary. We just assumed every town or village would educate their own kids. No, we never pass a constitutional amendment. You quietly explain, I think Congress just passed a law back in the late 1970s. Now all you ever hear about is people complaining that Washington is always dictating to the states what to teach in schools. Why does the federal government dictate what's taught in schools, asked Jefferson. Well, because the majority of the funding for schools comes from Washington. The three men, again, just look at each other with this incredulous look on their faces. Franklin wondered aloud, I'm afraid to ask if there are any other agencies like this one that are outside the purview of Article 1, Section 8. You look at the men, stuttering a bit, and respond, Uh, not only would we be here all afternoon if I told you everything the federal government is involved in, but I'm afraid your heads might explode. So let me leave you with this final thought. I was recently reminded of this bill uh, called the Enumerated Powers Act. It was introduced back in 2009 by Senator Tom Coburn and Representative John Shagdead. The act would require all congressional legislation to contain an explanation of the constitutional authority by which Congress can enact it. And this got me thinking, what if every federal government agency was required to submit a report justifying its existence with the only source available to do such, the United States Constitution? If they can successfully do so, they remain. If not, the agency is abolished with its duties discontinued immediately or transferred to another constitutional agency. Well, I can dream, can't I? And that's the truth about what's not in the Constitution. Please join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast. Podcast.